What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Jonathan Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. I am, oh God, I get so happy. I get so happy when I get to introduce this guest. Mike Vorkanoff of The Athletic, a Knicks Film School regular. He he demoted me without, I had to hear this from somebody else that he demoted me from Dean of Knicks Film School. What am I now in your estimation? I'm sorry, life is a meritocracy, so you kind of have to earn it. I, I mean... Did I get like, ta- how, what was the demotion like? Did I get taken out in handcuffs? Did I do something really, you know, untowards towards the school or? Yeah, you know, it's, you know, for, for a number of years, I think you just weren't living up to your weight as the <laughs> dean. Uh, and so you just got demoted. There's new blood. Chris comes in. Um, it happens. You know, the passing of the guard, uh, you know, the generational passing of the guard is, it's just, you know, since time immemorial, right? It just happens. Sometimes you can't fight it. I guess the better question is, um, a month into uh, last last school year, did the president of the university have a press conference um, saying that they had complete confidence in my ability to be a dean? Um, there were just, I heard a lot, a lot of chants of fire the dean around <laughs> your podcast, and I had fun. Did they ever do fire Fisdale chants? I don't... I don't think it ever got to that point, did it? Unless I forget. Uh, I don't. I, no, I mean, I don't. I think when there was anger, it never was really directed at David Fisdale. Yeah. From Knicks fans, at least that I've seen. I, I can't say, like, Knicks fans, at least. I don't want to talk about them as one large, like, uh, homogenous blob, but I, I don't think that most of the anger that I saw was directed at Fisdale in the last year or whatever. No. Um, and, you know, for whatever you want to say about him as a coach, I, I don't think that that is, is wrong, um, given everything else that was going on, um, which we'll get into. But let's start with the coach. Um, gosh, I, I'm sure, you know, you've been on the beat now for three years. I've been rooting for this team for far too long and writing about it for a while. I, I think we could both probably write a book on the reasons that the organization has been... Um, operating at somewhere less than functional capacity for a while now. Um, and my issue, whenever I start to think about this stuff is it's like, you think of one problem and then it gets spider web into like six other problems. So they hired Tibbs. Um, I, I agree with you. I've read everything you've been writing of lately. And I listened to your appearance with Chris. I, I think complacency with losing is, a, it has been a big problem. I think it was a problem under Fisdale um, and it's been a problem for a while now. I, I guess let's start here. Do you think that like that is the first domino, like correcting that? Let's assume for argument's sake that Tibbs could come in and, and, and correctify that. I just made up a word. Um, do you think that that could be like the first domino and then other things that are that have like ailed the organization will start to fall? Or do you think it's going to be tough to correct that given the other issues that exist, whether it's the roster, whether it's, you know, maybe some other stuff going on. Like where, how do you, how do you see this happening? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's I, my, my viewpoint is that, you know, you know, sure. Maybe there'll be like a marginal improvement bringing in Tibbs. Like if you're keeping all things completely equal, sure. There'll be like a marginal improvement with Tibbs. Um, I, I think the bigger, more important stuff is improving the roster um, you know, and bringing in people who fit more with his ethos than it is, you know, like if he had the same exact team, but he was just so much more intense that they cared a little bit more or like won a few more games. I, I don't think that's kind of where the, uh, if there is, if there is some kind of upward progression, I don't think that really is the first step to where it starts. 
No, that that may. I mean, it's the NBA. It's it's always going to start and end with the roster. Um, so you you brought it up, and this has been probably my biggest question since they hired him. And I heard you talk about this a little bit with with uh, Chris. Do you? How important do you think it is, or how, maybe the better way to phrase it is, how important do you think, you know, Leon Rose and company think it is to bring in certain types of players, or do you think that they are thinking like, well, we hired Tibbs, the whole point of hiring Tom Thibodeau is so he could take, you know, whatever players we give him and turn them into winning players, um, or do you think they'll like search out, you know, quote unquote, Tibbs guys? I, I don't know the answer. I'm curious what you think. You know, like, so I've been kind of trying to do my research on Tibbs, and I think maybe the one thing that is like uh, perhaps a misnomer, or maybe it's my own assumptions that were incorrect, is like, I don't know what a Tibbs guy necessarily is. I, I think a Tibbs guy is like someone who is um, like mentally tough and able to withstand that all that Tibbs asks of you. But I don't know if that's like necessarily different than like, a Popovich guy, right? Or a <laughs> yeah. Jeff Van Gundy guy. I, I think those are just like the bucket of players who would probably succeed in any like well-coached, uh, tough-minded organization. But that's usually what good teams are, right? Um, I, I think it's like pairing that ki- kind of mentality with also um, a talent skill set, right, that can fit into a winning team in 2020. So it's not just like, like Taj Gibson – you know, is a Tibbs guy, quote unquote, but like you don't want Todd Gibson playing 30 minutes a night for you. Um, like, you know, as good as he was in his prime, yeah. he's 30, 35. Like, um, that's not the guy you want out there at center for 35 minutes a night. I think so I think, I think he would admit be, that. What's that? I think even he would admit that at this point. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And like, so, you know, I think it's kind of finding the mentality uh, plus the talent and. I, look, I assume that when you hire Tom Thibodeau, and especially like when Leon Rose hires Tom Thibodeau, um, you know what you're getting, and you know what you have to build out as a team going forward. Like he knows him as well as anyone in the NBA, right? He had players uh, that played for him, you know, namely like Carl Anthony Towns when he represented him in Minnesota, played for Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he represented kind of Tom Thibodeau for a while. They like they know each other well. Yeah. So I would think that there's an alignment there between. Um, what Tom wants, what Leon wants, what Scott Perry wants. Like, I think that that'll probably be the case going forward. And I'm not so certain that like, it's a, it's a very large difference from what necessarily like the Knicks were trying to get last off season. Like, if you remember, like Scott Perry's always like kind of, um, blue collar players. Yeah. Uh, those types of guys, I think maybe the talent fit in a lot of ways wasn't always good, but you know, he's always liked toughness. He's always liked those types of players. Like it's kind of been an ethos that he had as the GM for the Knicks too. Uh, under Steve Mills was like making sure that guys earned it, uh, quote unquote, you know, just kind of using cliches. Um, and so I, I think that like, there's not gonna be this huge change in maybe like the type of player that they're going for. It's just, it's about getting talent. It's about getting talent that also meshes with, uh, the mindset. And I think that was the lacking, uh, thing the last few years. So that's actually not having, quote, uh- Sorry, you cut out for a second. Um, no, I, I think you, basically you're just saying that like it, it's 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 the talent. Stupid is that is that a, it's a fair place to start? I think with this team, right? Yeah, I mean to me that's always the thing. Is it's always the talent in the NBA? Is like you got to get good players. Like good coaches are good because they also have good players. You know, you you know yeah. you, you can have an, uh, like a clipboard genius, but he's got to have good guys to work with. Well, Pop, you know, Pop went into the Orlando bubble. What were they? Twenty seven and thirty six, right? So um, right. Yeah. Um, it's So this makes me think of a couple things, and, and I, I want to get back to Tibbs in a second, but you you know, you know brought up last summer, and it's... So I've noticed a couple things. Scott Perry's been here from, for this... This will... Let me... Uh, hold on. I, I, I can't believe I'm confusing myself. It, he's been here for two full seasons, right? Uh, no, 17... Uh... Last last Jeff Hornacek year, two years of Fisdale, so this is gonna be year year four. Jesus Christ! Yeah, that's right. Okay, so my God, time flies uh, when you're not having fun watching basketball at all. Um, so <laughs> you're right about Perry. He has this earn it mentality, and 
you know, and I'm critical of him from time to time. And then I feel like I get pushback by saying like, oh, he's a respected basketball mind. He knows what he's doing. He knows the basics of this. And then I think back, they gave Knox, and we've talked about Knox. They gave Knox carte blanche for year one. Not er- There was nothing about earning his minutes. And then we saw what happened this year. And then last summer, they bring in all these one-year guys. Okay, made absolutely no sense whatsoever in terms of the um, uh, putting a roster together with not enough shooting, not enough ball movement, not enough any of the things that you need to win in the NBA. That like Scott Perry was here for all that. So the only conclusion that I could reach is that you know, and I hate to go back to this, but that there, maybe there everybody was not on the same page within the organization in terms of how they wanted to approach, let's say, last summer, let's say the development. We saw the Craig Robinson stuff come out this week. Uh, I wonder now, under Leon Rose, do you, do we think that that part is... Is it fair to say that, that that is true, A, that maybe they weren't all on the same page, and B, is it fair to assume that maybe that gets corrected this time around, or th- with this regime, let's, let's say? Well, I think there's two things we have to consider. Like, I'm going to group this on the same page in, into like a bucket of like, uh, into like a bucket of uh, of sports um, like thoughts uh, and assumptions that get made. So I remember early on when I was covering the Mets, and there was a report about um, the Mets looking into like a Troy Tulowitzki trade, right? Yeah, I remember. And that. the Mets needed a shortstop, and they needed help, and. I was like, okay, crap, that would be a huge story. Like if the Mets, you know, talk to the Rockies about Troy Tulowitzki. Um, and I remember I talked to a Mets exec and I was like, well, did you guys do this? And he goes, I mean, yes, we have talked to the Rockies about Troy Tulowitzki, but let me just explain it to you. You know, every team talks to every team every offseason about each player to see like what the availability is. We split up, you know, like the teams by division by a person in our offseason and saw and you kind of grasp like who's available, who's not available. Um, so it's always like, you know, when a team has like interest in player X, it's like, yeah, okay, maybe have they had talks like maybe. Okay. And I think that's just more wide grasping than perhaps we realize. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, so like when you say, was there like dissent in the organization? I don't think it's a bad thing to have different people in the front office think different things. Right. It's then up to the person atop the org chart to make a final decision and go with it. Um, which was Steve Mills. Right. So like that, you know, like I think it's good to have dissent in your organization, whether it's a basketball team or it's a, uh, you know, a journalism entity or it's like a government. Like you want people to have different ideas and then come to some kind of decision. And it's whether that final decision is good and the process to get there is good. So I don't I wouldn't necessarily look at like, okay, you know, the this guy disagreed with the team president. They came to decision X. Like, I think that that's a positive. If it's done correctly. No, but no, but but would you agree with me that if it you can't say that it's done correctly if you go with Plan A year one again, just using Knox as an example, and then completely do a one eighty. Right. So I think that's where the reality of like running a team comes into it. Is like, okay, you have a certain organizational philosophy, but then you know. Like in real time, reality dictates that sometimes you occasionally stray from it. And if you do, is it just because like you've kind of like given up on the philosophy and just need to do something different for pragmatic purposes? Is it because you no longer believe in it? Is it just because you're kind of whipsawing from one from one idea to another, trying to figure out what works? And I think that's important to see. And like you talk about like Kevin Knox, I think that's a good example. It's like where do the Knicks stand on this sort of thing? You know, I, I think David Fisdale talked a lot about. Um, you know, like having guys earn it. And then, like you said, Kevin Knox ended up playing like 30, averaging 32 minutes a night for the last like 40 games of the season or something like that when he was a highly inefficient rookie. Um, You know, it it goes into, you know, Fisdale said he wants to play fast and, uh, you know, positionless basketball. And then the team that he has is given, is like the complete opposite of that, right? Yeah. Uh, so, like, you have to see how rhetoric matches up with actions. And, and so I think it's fair to wonder if that was the case the last few years. And we'll see what happens this year, too. We don't, we don't know. We don't know how the process gets made yet. Um, I think, like, the first time we'll get to really see it is in the draft and in free agency. And I don't know if that's, like, talking around the question you asked, but I don't know if no, it's I... as simple as, like, as, as saying uh, – uh, did they do or did they not do it? I think some of those like internal machinations, I just don't, I don't know what they were. Yeah, no, I, I just, it, 
I, I guess it was my way of trying to convey that in my estimation, uh, there like there was maybe no cohesive plan, um, and maybe that's me being <laughs> harsh. No, I, I don't. I mean, is that does that is that overly harsh in your estimation? Because if it is, tell me. I, I think they had a plan. I think it didn't work, and at times they strayed from it out of necessity. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not talking about Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Do you, you think they had a plan aside from that? I think I think the backup plan was when they when that didn't work for them, they had to then like move on to whatever Plan B was, and Plan B just it obviously wasn't a good one, right? Like <laughs> no. they tried to maximize what they could, but they were in a bad spot where it just didn't work well. You know, like I wrote it at the time, and I thought that you know their Plan B should have been uh, using the, all their cap space to take on bad contracts and to acquire picks and assets for it, right? Like, T.J. Warren was traded to Indiana. Um, cash for, considerations, baby. Yeah, and a second-round pick for cash yeah. consideration. Yeah. The Knicks could have done that deal. Yeah. Um, you know, the Andre Iguodala deal, like all those things. Uh, I thought that's what they should have done. They they chose, they said, okay, we need to improve quickly um, and, until they went a different route. And, like, that's that's, I think, how you get to that point. And how you then try to improve quickly is what you can then criticize and ask, okay, was this really a good idea? Uh, should you have gone that way? And that's why when I hear like, you know, I think, I forget if it was Tom Thibodeau saying this or Leon Rose saying this, you know, like we can't skip steps, right? Um, I'm pretty sure Scott Perry and Steve Mills said like verbatim. Oh, no, that was a um, Mills. I, I could, I, I'm pretty sure I could find 10 different sound bites of Steve Mills saying we're not skipping steps. Um, right. And so, you know, <laughs> did they skip steps? I would argue that they did. I, and so, you know, like, all right, what does it mean this time around? I don't know. We'll see what they do. You know, like, what are the <laughs> – we also have to know, and this is what I wrote too, is like when you're saying skipping steps, what is the road that you're taking? Like where are you trying to get? And that kind of dictates what the steps are, right? Well, um, I want to quote something that you wrote recently. You wrote, and this is one – I'm, I'm going to do this a couple times because you've been on fire lately. Um, you said they've tried restarts and bottoming out and chasing stars. None has worked or been sustainable to this point. Maybe the best thing to do, this is going to sound crazy, is the simplest. Try to win as many games as possible and see where that takes them. I think that's why I think it's the conversation is is should not be about that the mistake was in trying to win games last offseason. It was just about how poorly executed that plan is. And which gets us back to Thibodeau, which is like it like the plan I think is the same. Is to try to win games, is to not lock yourself into any long-term deals. I just think they need to do it better this time around. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I totally agree. That's why I think like if you wanted to win games last year, I don't know that I would have spent the money on the same players to try to do it for this season, right? Um, and sign the same six to seven guys that they did. I, I probably would have gone a different way. Um, and this isn't like revisionist history either. You know, so I, I think you also have to kind of like you have to be. Um, I guess you can either call it cynical or you can call it uh, realistic, right? Like there, there is no patience in New York. And I'm not saying that in this like, well, you can't rebuild a New York type of way. It's just, it's more like, like look at the history of the Knicks in the last 20 years since James Dolan has been the owner. There really hasn't been patience, right? Yeah. Like, coaches don't last. Uh, GMs or presidents don't really last. So if you're taking over a job, don't you have to know that? Don't you have to do your job with that in mind? It's like, all right, there's probably a window there. Either you admit it or not, or, or maybe you don't. Um, I just think that's like almost the analysis that you have to do for yourself if you're a, if you're an exec or a coach. And then if you're, uh, you know, it's harder, I think, if you're analyzing what a team does from the media perspective because there's almost like the ideal of what a team should do. But then it's, it's like, all right, how does that mix with what, like, uh, the reality yeah. of the situation is? Yeah. And like, you know, ideally you take a four or five year path and you build it slowly and you do all that. And then it's like, well, is that really possible with the Knicks? There's no evidence yet that it is. Yeah, I I don't know because, like, again, re- referencing what you wrote, if you – let's and I want to go back to the tips thing. You said this, this notion that maybe there isn't just a, a tips type of player. It's just – you know, there's like the couple, there's a hand, couple handfuls of guys in the league that kind of just want to screw around, and then there's guys like Taj who take it seriously no matter what, and then there's the other, I don't know, seventy-five or eighty percent of guys where it's like if you get the right coach, they're going to take it more seriously, and that's part of it. And then the other part of it is, you know, bringing in more talent. But 
in the in the four or five year plan that we we all agree that this is not going to be a four or five year plan. This is going to be, I, I don't know, um, <laughs> something quicker than that. Like, it, it isn't in either scenario. Don't, isn't it better to start winning sooner rather than later? And I guess the question then comes down to like, well. How do you go about that? And then that gets into like the idea of, I guess, like what trading, like for instance, do you like, if this were another organization, would you feel differently about like trading their first round pick this year for an established player? Um, I mean, I think that if there's a good deal out there, they should do it this year regardless, um, depending on where it lands. But is that because it's the Knicks or do you feel that way just because you think that that is sound team building should the right deal present itself? Yeah, if the right deal presents itself, like, you know, if, if, um, I mean, let, let's just throw this out as like a crazy scenario, but like, you know, if all of a sudden Bradley Beal says, hey, I'm not happy in Washington anymore, um, yeah, it's okay to trade your first round pick for Bradley Beal. You know, like, if you're trying to trade your first round pick for one year of, uh, was it 34 year old Kyle Lowry, because I'm watching the Raptors Heat right now, like, <laughs> I'd, I'd argue that's probably not the best way to go about things. Yeah. Uh, because of how long you would have him, right? It's like the Chris Paul thing. It's like, what does the deal for Chris Paul look like? If that's a possibility, and I, I'm not saying that it is, but you know that's been rumored out there, right? Like, if, I mean, if there's a deal that makes sense for Chris Paul, yeah, I think you do it. Like, he'll make you better now. He'll make you better later. Um, his contract is only two years. I know it's huge, but it's still just two years, and like, he's a top twelve player in the league. I, I would argue that he's – I mean, I, I tweeted something about this the other day. Other than LeBron, Kawhi, Harden, and Giannis, is there another guy playing in the bubble right now that if you're like, I could have any guy on my team for the rest of the bubble? I think he's in that conversation, right? He's on the short list at the very least. Yeah, I mean, look, he's a top 10 to 12 player. Like, that's really good. And I understand he's, what, I think 36, I want to say? He's not um, young. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you like, you acquire Chris Paul, and if the – you know, if the deal isn't a bad one, if you're not giving up a lot, if you're not giving up your lottery pick and you're not giving up RJ and Mitch, um, like, you know, I, I'd argue there's really not, there's not a lot of pain to acquiring Chris Paul if you're not trading um, one of those, you know, three assets, right? And, and your 2021 first round pick. Well, that, um, that to me is yeah. off, like, off limits. That, that to me is their best asset. I think it's better than Barrett. I think it's better than Robinson. I think it's better than anything. Well, maybe only because if you start, you know, if, if, if say in this hypothetical you acquire Chris Paul, that twenty twenty one well, gets valued, right? That's that's true, yeah, which is why this is all very complicated, <laughs> right? And the, but that's what I mean. But like again, so you know, it, it all depends on what the deal is, and I, I think like everything should be in, you know, like on the on the table, quote unquote. But like, what does that mean on the table? It just means like you know. Some things you're more willing to trade than you are others, but you're yeah. not willing to just unconditionally say no to everything. Yeah, no, I, I think, I mean, look, it. Uh, we're on Twitter. Everybody tries to make things out to be black or white. Like, oh, this would be, you can't acquire this player, it'd be terrible. You should acquire this player, it'd be great. It's like, no, there's a big gray area. It depends on what you're giving up. Um, you know, which is, again, not to repeat myself, but that's, for me, what makes thinking about like the right approach is it a Nixie approach quote unquote like it makes it complicated right because it's it's the, the devil's in the details um something else you wrote that um <laughs> that you sh- that you struck that struck me um it you wrote it's not hard to think that there was a comfort level with Thibodeau that helped him win out uh meaning win this job um in addition to his coaching acumen um and I think that made me think of two things one uh, John Krasinski, who uh, is just great on the Tibbs stuff, he wrote. I don't. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it was essentially like he's the walking personification of uncomfortable, right? It's like um, he makes guys uncomfortable on purpose in, in a way to to kind of get more out of them. But at the same time, like you said, there is a comfort level with him in the organization, and. This strikes me as particularly interesting because I think in within the Knicks over the years, there's been a little too much comfort, as as we were just talking about, with comfortable with losing or, you know, guys maybe keeping their jobs for longer than they should, even though they're not doing their jobs very well. I, how do you think Tibbs, I guess both his persona and 
his um, yeah, let's call it his relationships with the with the people running the team now. How do you think that'll all play out? You know, over the next year, over the next couple of years, like what do you foresee happening? Well, I think you know the fact that like Leon Rose probably I would guess and World Wide West know him as well as anyone in the NBA is a benefit to Tom um, in the sense that like he'll be comfortable right away with the front office, right? Uh, which is not always the case, even if they do pick you after a uh, long coaching search. And um, they'll they'll know him, right? Like theoretically, the way that this works is what shortcomings, what weaknesses he has. They should know that better than anyone else, right? Because they know him, and so they're able to yeah uh, um, help prop that up, right? I think I, I believe it was uh, Ian Begley that reported that they're looking at large staff of yeah. development guys, um, which is great. That's good. Right, it is, and it's like okay, you know, maybe Tibbs has hired like the same three or four people wherever he's gone, and so in recognizing that, Leon Rose is saying, okay, now we have to build out a staff in addition to whoever you hire, like uh, to be the front of the bench guys uh, that is there for player development. That is some new voices. That is some a uh, fresh air into what you're doing, and and I think the way that it works well is that you know the difference between Tom Thibodeau's coach and maybe what the Knicks have had before, and I haven't been there to like uh, cover every one. Uh, whether it was uh, there for Jeff Hornacek or, and I was there for David Fizdale. But, you know, with Tibbs, I think you can still take a long-term approach and say, like, all right, we want to rebuild this in two to three years, let's say. Um, but with Tibbs and just the way he works and, the, like, his, his mania towards winning and preparing for the next game and always thinking about the next game is, like, I, I think they'll still make it uncomfortable for the next game. And... So, like, you can yeah. have that long and short-term approach at the same time, which I'm not sure, you know, like, at least for the David Fisdale era that I covered um, most extensively, like, sometimes it felt like the fact that it was a long-term plan was very clear and abundant, and that kind of permeated things, uh, and it just made people more comfortable. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's a really good way of putting it. Um, yeah, I'm just... So, let's, let's talk about the players for a sec. Um, I think RJ, like you said on on Chris's podcast, that should be a good fit. Um, so you, I'm going to quote you one more time. You wrote, "He may he may not be a player's coach, but he could read the right coach for certain players." Love that line. Um, Mitchell Robinson is. Um, what do you make of Mitchell Robinson? I I just I'm curious. What are you What are your thoughts on him as like a I don't know a personality a. a, a anything um he's a good basketball player i think there's still <laughs> more maturity there that that can get made i think there's um uh still growth that's available there i don't know i i think sometimes um i like you know it's nice like at at the athletic we get to do like basically co-byline pieces with like all these national people that we have yeah um and i like doing it because for me it's a fun exercise because like i feel like when you cover a team uh, day in day out I, I always worry about like essentially regulatory capture yeah um and so i always worry uh that like because you're too close to a team you sometimes get lost <clears throat> in the bigger picture or you're evaluating through a different lens that isn't as real um and so you know there's a lot of hype about mitchell robinson but you talk to like some of our national people and you see like the all defense ballots that get cast this you know six man ballots all that type of stuff like there aren't any Knicks popping up on there, right? No. And so as good as Mitchell Thompson's numbers are, maybe he's just, you know, watching him every day kind of gives a, a different viewpoint of just how good he is. And so it's going to be interesting to see him with, like, Tom Thibodeau and really get worked and coached hard uh, and what that'll do for him because, you know, like he came into the league with certain question marks about him, um, and we'll see what happens when he comes in and has to play for the first time under, like, a coach who just, like, you know uh, – <laughs> We'll get on him really hard every day. Yeah, I I mean I yeah that's why I he's one I I personally can't get a full read on him um, just because he's so I, like goofy is that the right word I guess goofy is the word I would use I think so yeah um uh, but no I I mean yeah I, I I agree with you that like Nick fans who are like oh how could he not make all defense or be considered for all defense that's a little nuts. Um, six man of the year, I thought, uh, Zach Lowe and, um, I think it was Chris Herring had an interesting discussion on Mitch, um, as someone to be maybe appearing on a ballot in like the third spot, but probably not. Um, from the roster standpoint, what do you think is going to be the biggest swing 
I'm going to give you a couple options the, in terms of like the biggest swing factor and whether they'll be a decent team next year or not. Um, starting point guard spot, um, getting shooting from the four, which would basically mean either moving Randall or moving Randall to the bench and bringing someone else in, or um, acquiring some kind of a shot creating, you know, kind of more traditional offensive engine. Which they don't they don't have right now. Of of those three things, do you think any one is more important than the other or less important? Yeah, I mean to me it's who's their like top offensive option gonna be next year. Whether that's a, a point guard who makes everything go or like if it's a wing or a big, you know, like the guy who sops up the you know, the plurality of their possessions, right? Like yeah. that's kind of important. Like this year was Julius Randle and the Knicks were an inefficient offense, and that's probably not a coincidence, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes, unless you have a lot of really good top-end depth or a really good coach, like, you need to have – your offense is only as good as the as your best offensive player. So, like, if you get a – you know, let's say they take, like, LaMelo Ball. Um, they, you know, have, they have a top three pick or something, and they take LaMelo Ball, and he's a starting point guard. How many offenses do you remember that are, you know, let's say, like, top 15 with a rookie point guard running the thing i mean even Um, even morant this year they were only 19th um so it's it's rare right and i mean john morant was like ridiculously good for a rookie yes yeah that's Um, well that's my point is like it just it doesn't happen (laughs) so i I think it's gonna be a number of things i'm very curious to see what they do at point guard like there's conceivably a number of uh ways they can go and um would have different question marks with what they can do with that and what you know what choices that means they they miss out on otherwise um, so whether it's, you know, the, taking a point guard in the draft, if they end up, it doesn't matter where they pick, honestly. Um, it seems like there will be one available to them at any of the no, top nine picks that they can make conce- uh, conceivably. Yeah. You know, whether they want to see if they can sign Fred Van Vliet in free agency or try to swing a, uh, a trade for Chris Paul, like any of those things. Like they have to make some really hard choices and they have to bring in better offensive players like I don't think that's really any uh, genius statement there, but like they need, I, it's not just one move. It's it's got to be a lot of them to get better, even if they want to jump up to like the thirty-five win level. Um, yeah, which I think you know, it, I my guess is that would be their goal. Um, I, I want to ask you, a, 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 you know, sources say question. My my read on Julius Randle, just from like talking to the few people I I can talk to that maybe know things, is that. He is not looked at by anyone around the league as an asset on his current contract, as in like a he's not a net neutral asset. Like he is he is not a player that is worth whatever, the eighteen point nine this year and then whether you want to look at it as a four million dollar guarantee the following year or the full salary. Are you do you get the same sense or do you have any any other, you know, insight on what exactly Julius Randle is as a movable piece? Um, you know, I haven't asked around on that, but I, you know, I would guess it's what you're saying is probably right. Um, you know, he's got a essentially what one year. Um, well, and the but the four million is not nothing in that summer. At it's least not, it's not nothing. It's not. You're right. Um, but I would guess you know, like if you really want to get rid of that, you know, it's it's not nothing, but it also means you don't have to pay the other fifteen million, right? It's not like four of eight. It's four of nineteen. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. If you want to get out of that, uh, yeah, I mean, like. Here's here's my thing, and because I've asked like, what do you? I've asked people like, what do you think this off season off season is going to look like? And there's just really like a lot of uncertainty of how crazy it might be. Like, you know, there's some thought that maybe it'll be a wild off season because now the entire financial landscape has changed, and some teams need to get rid of contracts, need to trade away it, certain guys that they can't afford anymore. Do you think like, that's going to be real? Like, how real do you think that's going to be? Here's my thing, and then there's some others are saying, you know, what if it's just completely static? Like, no one really makes a lot of moves because everyone is adapting and everyone has maybe similar restrictions or apprehensions. And so things kind of stay the status quo. Um, So I don't know. I don't know which one it's going to be. And I I can't quite say. But I I think, like, how how frenetic this offseason will be, I think, will probably determine how easy it is to trade someone like Julius Randle. Yeah. um, I'm wondering – I guess – I'm wondering, like, when are we going to know the answer to that question? Is it going to be like, you, you know, draft night's going to come and five teams are going to auction off their first round picks? And it's like, oh, wow, this is, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the draft would be a good indicator, right? Like, that's when teams start making their first round of moves um, for the next season. And also, 
you know, you kind of see what financial state that they're in. You know, if teams are trying to get under the tax or trying to get under the cap or, uh, you know, whatever it is. I think, like, you know, sometimes teams try to sell second-round picks because they just want cash instead. Um, I think that'll be the first big indicator, you know, like that week leading up as we see, like, you know, Team X is considering whatever. I, I Until then, I think it's also hard just because, like, the <laughs> the – uh, forecast for what the NBA season will look like next year is hard to predict at this point, right? You just need to continuously get closer to uh, the start date to have more certainty, right? Like, we don't know what the state of the virus will be, what uh, regulations and rules are in each state in terms of, like, um, you know, who's allowed and how many people are allowed indoors, right, for all these events, whether you have fans or not. Like, I just saw something about Ohio uh, essentially not having any fans for any contact sport events. Um, and this is Ohio State trying to do like 20% capacity for football games, right? Huh. Um, so like, what what's gonna happen? We don't. 20% capacity. I mean, New Jersey just changed its. Uh, I think the governor just said today, you know, they're limiting indoor capacity again to no more than 25 people um, in a in a room or a house or whatever. So like, all these things kind of change weekly, monthly. So I, I figure it's hard to really have a full. Um, layout. We still don't know what the cap situation is going to be like either, right? For next season, we don't yeah. know where that's going to be. There's like, there's all these questions that we just don't have answers to at the moment. Well, let, so let's finish up there. We're talking about next season because it's, you know, it, it matters with sports and it matters, you know, just with life. Like, I personally, I, I just don't see a scenario where there are fans watching NBA games next year because, like. So fine, the, they come out with a virus or with a vaccine, and it's effective, and the NBA, you know, gets access to get their all their players vaccinated and coaching staffs and the whole thing. F- wonderful, great, but that that doesn't mean the, like all of the potential fans that can show up at games are gonna have it. And like, are you even twenty percent capacity? Are you? You're, what are you gonna do? You're gonna ensure ensure that. 3,000 or 4,000 people are all wearing masks and are not like that. There's, I just don't know how there's a workable solution to regulating it. Like it, am I off here? Cause I've, I've thought about this quite a bit and I know you think about it too. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't see how they have fans at games next year. Like uh, the NBA has been super careful about this completing the season. Right. Uh, for the safety of their players, because they know that's one important, but then also two, like the only way that basketball games happen. Yeah. Um, they've also been very in line with what scientists and epidemiologists are saying to make sure that they have the best advice possible. And like, you know, we've seen what happened to baseball. <laughs> you know, it's a mess out there right now. Yeah. Um, if the NBA tries to do it next year, where there's you know travel again, where they're kind of traveling from city to city for games. Um, as baseball is and as the NFL intends to do, I, I mean, that's just one more factor uh, introduced into, like, making the games happen is having fans there. I mean, I guess you could conceivably have, like, maybe suites be filled or something like that with, like... Um, <laughs> Get some luxury box dollars in there. <laughs> yeah, but again, you know, that, that I think is a very, very, uh, what's the word, difficult ethical uh, road to walk. For obvious reasons, yeah, about yeah. having suites full of rich ticket holders watching athletes play, um, <laughs> and no one else gets into the building. Yeah, uh, I think that's something you don't want to do. I would guess uh, for a lot of reasons. And so, I, I don't know. I don't see how there are fans. And like, even if there's a vaccine, you know, they say maybe it'll be ready by let's say like January 2021. If you want to be super optimistic, yeah. <laughs> that everyone gets it right away no. uh, and I don't know if you've seen there's a lot of people who don't want to get vaccines at the moment either even if it's something you know <laughs> for something else and so like how quickly it get used and like you know how see how quickly we get uh, spread across the country like there's a lot of questions that go into play yeah um god I, I so many things I want to say because I know we share a lot of the same views on a lot of stuff. But with, let it go, man. Let it fly. It's your podcast. Nah, I just, I just wish every people were smarter than they are. The liberal, the liberal dean of mixed film school, academia. <laughs> just a bunch that's of, that's why I got fired. Know, Two li- the li- these of- liberal views, left wing politics. Um, God. So okay, let's end with this. So let's say there are no fans, which means. Um, the owners lose out on 
what rough percentage of revenue? Forty uh, percent? I don't know. Uh, Thirty, forty, fifty? Some somewhere in that neighborhood, right? Uh, one more time. No, uh, so it, let's say there's no fans at games. That means the owners oh. lo- lose out on what percentage, roughly, of revenue? Yeah, I think Adam Silver said forty percent. Okay, so. I was talking to JB about this via text the other day, and before I let you go, I want to get your thought. Because his view is basically like, look, the owners are smart enough to know that they could seize on this opportunity to, you know, rip up the CBA and get a better deal where they get a higher um, percentage of um, uh, basketball-related income, right? And my... I agree that this is an opportunity for them because they know they could last longer than the players if there's a, whatever you want to call it, a, a strike or a lockout. Um, but at the same time, that would take all of the goodwill that they have built up, um, I think recently with their social justice um, views and outward being outward towards that, which I think has been great. And just the fact that they're playing and baseball might not play for much longer and who the hell knows what's going to happen with football. Um, and it would take all of that goodwill and the chance for maybe them to the NBA to become the, the top sport in the country and it would toss it, you know, in the shitter. And I just for the life of me, I can't imagine Adam Silver letting that happen, but I also admit that that may be me being naive. Um, so what do you think happens if there's an opportunity for the owners to treat this like, hey, you know, we could we could benefit from this long long term, um, and then I think about how a lot of owners don't look at these as cash oper- cash generating operations anymore. Like, you know, Mark Cuban doesn't need the the Mavs. Like, State Bomber doesn't need the Clippers. Like, what do you? How do you think that would all play out? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I'm I don't think that the owners would try to do this for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, look, I would never put it past. Uh, rich people missing an opportunity to consolidate wealth and power. But I think in the like with the NBA and the CBA, like there's a different relationship. There's sometimes more of a partnership than there is kind of a um, like a, a battle for power in the NBA compared to like baseball, let's say, or the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of what makes organizations appealing now to players when you're like trying to go after stars and free agency and trades is the fact that. Um, you do make it a hospitable place where you, like, in a sense, almost share power sometimes, or make make it seem like you're sharing power sure. with your star players, right? And so a lot of that would undercut, like, a, a like, a, a, you know, a, a bloody long, prolonged CBA dispute would kind of undercut that, I think, a lot. Um, and I don't know, you know, yes, the the owners would have leverage, but the players would have a lot of leverage too, right? Like, they're the ones who are incurring the physical risk um playing right now right in orlando yeah uh, going into this this bubble right like there's a funny photo of like steve Ballmer uh in his mask with his camera phone like behind plexiglass recording a clippers game um in orlando while the players are on the floor playing maskless you know doing the yeah. actual labor right like in the middle of a pandemic and it so, you know, that's that's something to be said, too, is, you know, the optics would not be great for NBA owners if they try to do that. And I think that would really be anathema to everything Adam Silver has kind of done as um, as commissioner so far is to try to he's tried to kind of build um, a, a better relationship with the union and a less uh, combative one, I, I think, with the union than like other commission commissioners and owners uh, have, you know, in other sports. Right. So I, I'm not saying it won't happen. I just think it doesn't seem like it would happen. Like they've had flashpoints here and there over the last few months where it could have been a thing, you know, like in deferring wills at 25% of salary. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that went a little more smoothly than it might have gone in like baseball. And not that I'm – I should be comparing Adam Silver to Rob Manford because that's <laughs> – you know. I'm, listen, I'm not like one of those media members who just thinks the NBA is like great above all and Adam Silver is – you No, know, you're, you're fair. That, like. You're fair. He's done a good job, and then you see how other commissioners have handled it, and you're like, "Oh damn!" Like, he's done a really good job compared to his peers, like, you know, objectively speaking. Um, so yeah, I, I would be surprised if there's this large, you know, like large fight over the next CBA. I, I mean, I, I think all CBAs are difficult to do, and so I would be surprised if things pop up. But no, like, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I agree. I can't. We're contentious. No, I I agree with you. I hope you're right. I think you're right. Um, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Um, Watch, I'll be wrong. I please don't say that. I, I I depend on you, Mike, for your for your 
a measured insight into things. No, go to Shams, man. He's the guy to go to for all this information. <laughs> I'm just the guy gas bagging on a podcast. <laughs> well, you make gas bagging look very good. Um, before I let you go, I, I can't force you to do this. I don't even know if you, you know, as a as a person on the beat, it, this is couth of you to do. But I, I did these fundraiser pods recently, and the, I ended all of the the calls that I did with asking uh, Nick fans to give me win prediction uh, totals. But let me, I'll ask you this. What do you think was the lowest number I got? And what do you think was the highest number I got? I think I got 15 or 16. Uh, Take your guesses. For an 82 game season? Yeah. For an 82 Um, game season. Big assumption on your part. I like it. I know. Uh, (laughs) Foolish probably. Uh, I would say the spread was somewhere between like 20 and 42. Well, you got the top right. The top number was 42. The bottom number was 28. So uh, no one was that that pessimistic. Um, but apparently you are. Jesus Christ. Um, so <laughs> do you do you want to put a number uh, with the obvious caveat that we don't know what like anything about this offseason? What's your What's your gut tell you? How many How many teams or games is this team going to win next to, year? You want me to put a win projection? Or a team where like thirteen of the fifteen players yes. change over the offseason. Yes, that, that is exactly sense. what I'm asking you uh, to do. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right, I'll middle it. I'll just go thirty-five. I don't even know where where the fuck that came from. I don't know who's on the team. I'll just go thirty-five. You might be on the team. I don't listen. A lot of roster spots I, up for grabs. I am not in the best shape of my life. That is not a that is not a sign you want to make. Has has quarantine not? I, I feel like people have gone in two directions. Have, have have you gone in the lesser of the two directions or no? Yeah, I mean, I listen, man, I, I've said this before. You know, when you have a kid, quarantine is hard, I think. Uh, whatever goals I had, I had at the beginning of it have been uh, quickly diminished. Uh, you know, my mine is a flame that went out very quickly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know. I, I I haven't run as much as I've wanted to. You know, it's uh, sometimes you just eat a little too much. It's just it is what it is. I'm fine with it. I've come to terms. That's a listen. That's all we. Can, that's all any of us could do, really. Um. <laughs> Anyone out here without kids, you you guys should all have to be having six packs right now. Every single one of you. If you don't have a six pack, what are you doing? Uh God. do you allow yourself to think of what your life would be like if you didn't have a kid? Because I don't even do it anymore. I just, what's the, what the fuck is the point of that? Yeah, well, you have a second one coming. So I, I, I do. Get yeah. I mean, my world is about to get. You want to talk about a shitstorm? That I do, I do sometimes yeah. let my mind wander and think what quarantine or pen. It's not even quarantine, like, but what this pandemic would have been like without uh, raising a child at the same time, and just what I would do with all my free time, and um, you know. How many more miles I would have run? How many more books I would have read? I was about to say, I, I tell myself that I would have read a lot more and tried to write a book. That is what I've told myself, that I would have tried to write a book. Uh, I, if I have a good book idea, sure, but I'm just not writing a book unless I have a good idea. Okay. Um, I, it doesn't seem very fun from talking to people who have written books. Um, unless you're like really super, super into the subject. I just want more free time. I think it would have been nice to be able to sleep through the night more often. That's that's really my biggest uh, my biggest desire from from pandemic life. Yeah, um, I miss I miss being able to sleep through the night as well. How how old is yours again? I forget. Your, yours is still young, right? Mine is, mine is about eighteen months, but oh, gets yeah. up too in the middle of the night. Yeah, um, you're you know what? You're not that far from being out of the weeds. I will I will I will tell you that. Keep keep on trucking, man. You you got this. <laughs> <laughs> And my my I I don't know I remember that that stage and I was like yeah we're not having another one it, it took until she was like two and a half three years old before I even could bring myself around to the idea of having a second so you know well I look forward to your podcast when you have two um, oh my god I'm sure they'll be like I don't know if they'll be like 15 minutes long because you fall asleep <laughs> or if they'll be like two hours long because it's your excuse not to be a parent. <laughs> I, I'm thinking of uh, this is forty, where he's in the toilet on the doing the crossword on the app, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it's it's. It's. Uh, I don't know if you've watched ever watched Working Moms on Netflix. You know, I I I was like told my wife, I'm like, this should you know, don't you want to watch the show? She had once she had no interest. I was like, well, I'm not gonna, you know, why is it good? 
Uh, no, it's good, but there's just one scene that sticks with me. It's where this mom is in the, the bathroom, and she's just, like, sitting on the toilet, not even going to the bathroom, just on her phone, and her kid's, like, <laughs> knocking on the door, and she's like, I'm in here. Give me a minute. It's just too real. It's too real. <laughs> my, my kid is taken to when I, – I, I'm going to keep this PG. When when one of us is, is in the bathroom and the door is closed, she'll just find all kinds of little shit around the house and in her room and start sliding it under the door until literally she can't shove anything else under there. Um, yeah, I, Hey, listen, um, this is, this is the life that we've, we've chosen. Yeah. And listen, I'm sure there are parents out there listening to your podcast going, you know what? Screw you guys. Try having two or three. So again, (laughs) it's always relative. I, 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 uh, I'm going to quote Zach Lowe for not a basketball thing. He has said on his pod for years, he's like, I could see the argument for two. Anybody who has more than two is, needs to get their head checked out. And that's what I think. I think. You, there, there are arguments for a second child. I, um, more than that, I, I don't. You've lost me. So it all depends on how comfortable you are economically and whether you want to play zone defense or not. I prefer man to man. I'm with you, um, Mike. It's always great. Um, you have, uh, I think, three pieces up right now about Tibbs. They're all really good. Um, I I'm not, I think my favorite Tibbs piece for you is still the one where you went back and you were like, let's figure out what kind of to- coach Tibbs is nowadays in his own words. That was great. Um, so you have like a bunch of Tibbs pieces up. Can you can you tell the fine folks at home where they could go to uh, find your work? Yeah, I mean, if you're listening, I hope you subscribe to The Athletic. Um, <clears throat> I cover the Knicks for us over there. And if you don't, I would ask you to go to theathletic.com slash Knicks. You can find our Knicks coverage there along with uh, all of our NBA coverage, you know, EPL, NFL, MLB, every team you can think of. I keep petitioning for a Quidditch team. They haven't done it yet, but I'm sure if we do, like, I'll, I'll get to cover it. That's, uh, that's fantastic. I, you know what I like about it? Speaking of having kids – I don't have time to peruse the internet like I once did. So when I get my athletic daily email, um, I just open it and it's like, oh, here are the two or three things that like if I have five minutes today, um, I could just peruse like the articles in that email and it's going to get me kind of up to date. Um, yeah, listen, I'm not even saying it because I work there, but like it's nice to just go to the same site. I'm a Chelsea fan, so I can like read all of our NBA coverage and then just go over to read our Chelsea coverage. And it's nice. And it's just like, oh, I don't have to go anywhere. I can just go on my app and go from, you know, it's uh, it's, it's one of the things I have trade, uh, bookmarked in. So it's, it's very easy easy to use. Very uh, There's a lot of utility in it. I recommend it. Try The Athletic. It, it's worth it for you alone. Um, there are other people who write on it as well. Um, uh, they are good also. So um, thanks to The Athletic for uh, <laughs> letting you appear on this podcast. And, of course, thank you for taking the time um, and everybody at home. Stay tuned for another fundraiser call, which we have coming at you right now. All right, next up, joining me on the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, I got to say, I'm just blown away by the the fact that this fundraiser thing has continued and people have continued to want to, you know, uh, making a donation to a good cause to appear on the show. Um, I'm thrilled that it, that is the case. And I'm especially happy to talk to uh, my next guest, who is someone that I feel like I've interacted with for years now on Twitter. Um, but this is the first time we get to talk. So, Scott uh, Fox, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing Jonathan. It's, uh, it's an honor to be on the show. And, uh, you know, definitely to contribute to such a great cause is, uh, you know, something that's very much. It's deserved, and uh, really thankful that you're able to uh, make some time out for me. Yeah, no, of course. Um, you always have good takes online, so um, and that's like you were. We were chatting on DM, and you said that you had listened to some of the other calls, and like they they were, you know, you were impressed by how how good they were. And I I, I said it myself. I'm like. We really, I, it, people give Nick fans a bad name sometimes because there are some bad takes out there. But by and large, I really do think we have the smartest fans in, you know, in the NBA. I, I don't think that's an overstatement. Yeah. No, I Nick's fans are undoubtedly the, the smartest out there. I think what catches us sometimes is we're smart, but we're also irrational at times. That's fair. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I think we, yeah, when we let the emotions get the better of our brains is when we get into trouble. But, you know, I think actually for the first time now, we as fans might be fortunate enough to switch from kind of an irrational hope that we've had for the team probably for the last couple of decades um, to hopefully more of, of a true rational hope that things are now moving in the right direction. You know, how many how many times over the years have we thought, you know, the next big thing was about to happen, um, be it, you know, landing a better lottery pick or, you know, God forbid, LeBron or KD or any of those guys yeah. coming here. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm rationally optimistic for the first time in a long time because we are not reliant on anything out of our control at this point. Now, we have the extra picks. Uh, we've got some pieces in place. You know, regardless of what you think of the ceilings of Mitch and RJ and Frank, you, know, you can't argue that they're not at least pieces to a team. No, they're, they're pieces. And, uh, I agree. Yeah, really, at this point, it comes down to making good decisions. And you know, it seems like Rose has started off making good decisions by bringing in you know, smart people, the right people. Um, you know, hopefully Tibbs turns out to be the right coach, but the, the power is finally within our control to make those right decisions, you know, as opposed to hoping someone else decides to help us. You know, it's interesting because I th- I feel like the one big, because di- I, I, trust me, I said something similar outside of the, like, hoping somebody we don't need to hope somebody comes and helps us. Like, I think a lot of fans, me included, said something similar with the beginning of like Perry and Mills because we were, it was like, all right, we're starting with a clean slate and, you know, there's nothing, there's no bad contracts holding us back. There's no, um, well, <laughs> I there was, uh, you know, at, at first before the KP trade, but then after the KP trade, it was like, all right, everything's clean. It's like, now's the time. Like we've set everything up. And I think we just never stopped to, or I didn't stop to ask myself enough. Like, are the people running the team actually respected within the basketball community such that, um, people are going to put their careers and lives in their hands? And I think to your point, what you just said, you know, if we zoom out for a second and look at like the macro of the last, I guess it's what, five months now since Rose was hired. It's, I can't believe it's been that long or at least since it was announced. Like it's been nothing but the right people brought in. Everyone's going to be on the same page. The one holdover or the two holdovers, I should say, Perry and, uh, and Houston are like, they are a small part of a larger team. And I, I have to think both of those guys know that like, look, we'll be out the door before we could say boo if we don't kind of follow the, the, the new protocol here, whatever that may be. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I mean, at some point you do still need to get a star through your door, whether through the trade, you know, trade market, free agency draft. Um, so you're, there's always kind of going to be that, like we, we do need, we need to get help from the outside from somewhere big. I, I don't know. What do you, what are you envisioning as like, how does this team turn the corner? Do you think they make a big trade? Do you think they get the right guy in the draft? Do you think it's someone that's already here? Like, where, where are you looking out for that? So uh, I feel like I'm, I don't know, perhaps in the minority still that I still think the slow and steady is the way that I think they should go. And I was actually happy to see Tibbs get the five years because Me too. I kind of into that that maybe it means they're more accepting of you know continuing that slow rebuild and you know not signing a Chris Ball this offseason or cheating for him yeah um, you know if there's if that star isn't out there this offseason there, there's no urgency to try to force it at this point you know develop the young guys um, you know get the draft pick continue to develop if you know I've I know in your last article, you know, potentially a trade for a Levine type, you know, that wouldn't be my ideal situation, but at least it wouldn't be breaking the bank of our future assets if we were to go that route. You wouldn't think, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, unless it's a Bonyani 2.0 situation. Well, I don't, I don't think it's going to be that. Eddie Cur- that was probably Eddie. That was probably Eddie Curry 2.0 situation. So we, I guess, we'd be on 3.0 or maybe 10.0. I, I was about to say point. it's more. It's getting the double digits 0.0. Um, whatever it is. No, I, I listen. I'm with you. I just, I, I, and it's something I've spent a lot of this offseason thinking about. Is like, what does slow and steady really mean? I think it means. Like putting yourself in a position to, I mean, there's, you know, you typically you either, I mean, you draft a superstar, um, that then becomes a superstar or like you build your organization up to the point where you're, it becomes appealing enough to somebody in trade or free agency. Um, and I think making, and, and the thing I'm reconciling with myself is how would making a trade for like, you know, a lesser, I don't even want to call him a star, but like a lesser, like big numbers guy, like Levine, like how does that factor in, factor into that? Can you still consider that slow and steady because you're taking a, a distressed asset or somewhat distressed and you're trying to build it up? I mean, it's kind of like what they tried to do at Randall, except that didn't work out because the team was so, you know, such a mess on the floor last year. I don't know. Um, wh- what do you hope to see next season? Let's, let's, I guess, close with that. Yeah. So, I guess what I hope, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume we don't either land the top pick or, or trade for Lamelo. You know, personally, and I'm certainly biased because I'm a, a North Carolina fan, so biased in that regard. But I actually still see Cole as one of the best fits, you know, of the point guards out there okay. in the draft for our current roster. You know. Why North do you why do you Carolina, say that? I'm curious. I've, what do you, what do you like about yeah, him with the with the I, current I, roster? I've watched that team for 30 years. They never had they had worse spacing last season than the Knicks did. <laughs> that's that's that is fair. That is fair. I've watched enough tape to know that that and, is true. Yeah, Anthony had zero room to operate. He had five defensive heads looking at him at all times. You know, and yet he still managed, you know, to have some of those highlight games. He did. I think what I like about him for this team is I expect he'll be able to play equally well off the ball as on it. I agree. And for me, if if RJ is going to become the best version of himself, I think he has the ball in his hands. So therefore, you want a guy like Cole that you know he can basically play like a shooting guard at the point guard position. You know, he can be the one coming off the screens. Um, and, you know, when, when RJ needs a break, then, then Cole initiate. I, you know, um, so I certainly would not mind walking away with. No, I, I think ideally. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say, I wouldn't mind it for that reason. Also, because just like, again, I've referenced this a few times in the last week or two, but like watching the games in Orlando, the days, like where your point guard just gets you into every one of your sets and dictates the offense. Those, those days have been gone for a while now. And I think it's maybe just hitting some people in the face now. So the notion that you're that Cole Anthony might not be like in a legally point guard, his ability to function off the ball is going to be able to make up for that, you know, that deficiency in terms of what he doesn't bring in terms of vision or, or passing ability or stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I think in an ideal world, if we, don't then you know maybe we're able to trade down a little bit still draft Cole and then uh, Spencer's definitely got me on the Poku bandwagon so <laughs> we could you know swing a trade to you know get a Cole first and then move back up to get Poku in the mid teens yeah I would certainly be a happy camper I hey listen um, that would be a good if they I, I keep talking about the things that like if they did it would make me so happy because it would be so non Knicks like and if they actually came away from draft night with Poco um and knowing that that guy's not going to pay dividends probably for a few years um that's just like you know I think that's at the core of every Nick fan who does say we want slow and steady it's like give us those little signs that you are willing to do something that will not benefit you this season and maybe even next season um, exactly. yeah. So if we could see a couple of those, I completely agree. Whatever way they go, I want to see a couple of those signs. And I do think Tibbs getting the five year deal, um, only helps that. All right. Uh, you know what I'm going to end with, uh, for as many of the more of these as I do it. Um, I need, 
A wind pro- my geez, I'm gonna get my card down from my bulletin board here. It's it's slowly filling up with numbers. Um give me a <laughs> give me a win prediction total for this season. Yeah, so I think I'm a little lower than some of the others. I'm I'm at thirty four at this point and obviously I do hope they'll be playing some of the younger guys. Uh, so yeah, thirty-four. Okay. Um, no, I think that's actually. I would. Ha- I have to calculate uh, the average, but I, if I had to bet right now, I would say that that's right around the average. Um, if if you take out my mom's prediction of fifty, um, I think that, that I think thirty-four is right around the average. Um, all right, <laughs> this was awesome, as has been the case when we went a little longer than five minutes, but that's fine. It's always good to talk to talk basketball. Um, Scott, I appreciate you making the donation. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, yeah, man, we'll uh, we'll check up on Twitter soon, I'm sure. Awesome. Thanks again for making time for me. <laughs> of course. Be well, man. All right. Take care. 